I think it was about four or five months ago on here that I said in an intro that I was, I had been feeling really angry and it was getting to the point where I felt like something had to change. And at the time I was thinking about various flavors of poetry world bullshit that were getting to me. And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't find anywhere good for that to go is the honest answer. I didn't, I didn't know how to express it. I didn't know who to talk to about it uh, in a productive way. And so it just kind of sat there until I suppose I lost interest. I've got this newish friend who I've been talking to recently about anger and she and I have been sort of speculating going back and forth about what is it that is worth doing with this emotion because we feel it regularly but neither of us feel like we are allowed to express it. And so we were sort of joking with each other saying, well, I guess we just take up boxing or I guess we just go for a run, you know, do something healthy. And of course, those ideas are good ideas. They're solid ideas. But they're also completely unsatisfying. The other thing the other idea that people will sometimes suggest is to get a pen and paper and just write it down. Everything you want to say, get it out, get it onto the page, and that way you can let it go. And I think that can work. I think that's possibly a very reasonable and healthy thing to do. But I think what I'm starting to realize is there's a point at which all these strategies, including writing, fail. Because the emotion that I am thinking about here is more than anger. What I'm really talking about is not just anger, not just a simmering kind of annoyance, but the moments when that anger is turned up to 11, when you go past anger into fury. Now, both anger and fury are completely normal, acceptable human emotions, of course. But these are not emotions that I personally feel like I am allowed to have in public. When I am furious, I am also hysterical and I am too much. Or my, my favorite, favorite thing that I get called when I allow myself this emotion, I'm intense. I keep thinking about all this and, and going back and forth with this friend of mine because I really do need to find somewhere for this to go because at the moment it just goes inward. When I feel angry, I just, I eat it, I drink it, I numb it with a screen 
and worst case is it comes out at a moment that I'm not expecting it towards somebody who doesn't deserve it in a way that I can't explain. And the question I'm left with is, what could I have done differently? And the question I'm asking at the moment is, can writing actually do anything here? I started looking through my library, all my poetry books, for somebody who had something useful to say on this. And what I found was essentially a huge absence, a huge gap. Morning, noon, and night. Stop talking. What? Just Get up. Go to bed. Go to sleep. That's insanity, isn't it? No. I'm going to take him with me. No. No, I'm going to take him with me because I'm going to protect him. You understand me? They're mine, and I'm going to protect him. Okay. You're not going with me. Take him any place. And you. You're going to let him take me. This woman is Jenna Rollins. She's an actress. She is 92 years old. She is a goddess. If you have seen her, you've probably seen her in a Cassavetes film. These films are often quite hard to watch because Cassavetes puts her in situations where she's often pretty much being tortured. And you end up spending most of the film asking, is he torturing his female lead or is he giving his female lead the space and range to show how angry she really is. I believe when I watch these films that Jenna is in total control, but she is furious. She is in a place where her anger has its own energy. And I wish I could find this in poetry more often because the other thing about being angry, the other thing about feeling this way is that It is lonely. Feeling this way cuts you off from everybody else. So if you walk into a bookshop today, and I think this is probably true, just as true in the US or the UK and elsewhere, you go to the poetry section and you'll find these anthologies. They didn't used to be there, but they are growing like weeds at the moment. They have titles like A Poem for Every Emotion or Poetry That Makes Grown Women Cry. Or my favourite one, The Poetry Pharmacy. This is this idea that, like, poetry is medicine. It's a painkiller. It's a Band-Aid. I picked up a couple of these and I was looking in the index and there are so many different emotions covered, but what is completely absent is any mention of anger, rage, or fury. We have, for example, trauma, non-soothing poems about. We have poems about relatives, pleasant feelings towards. Relationships, probably romantic in some sense. Anxiety. Babies. Coffee. What else have we got? Defeatism, defensiveness, disappointment, reassurance, need for, old age, 
Anger is thin on the ground. I mean, think about the poem that we all know that actually talks about rage. That includes this instruction to rage. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. It doesn't sound like someone feeling rage at all. It sounds like a request, like a plea, a prayer. And not that Dylan Thomas should be raging at his father, but shouldn't he be raging against death to some degree, this thing that's going to take his father away? The more I thought about this, the more I realized that probably what's happening here is that, you know, writing a poem requires control. And fury operates without control. So maybe there is no way to get this emotion into a poem and and have it stay. I was sharing poems with Jennifer Compton and her group and one of the things that Jen says sometimes when she's giving feedback is that poem is sitting quietly on the page. And I think that's, that's a really good measure of whether a poem is working. Are, there, are all the questions resolved? Is everything doing what it needs to do? Is it sitting quietly? But I don't know if a furious poem could ever sit quietly. Putting this together, I went back and listened to an early episode of Slee Ricketts, episode 7, which is called My Love is Like a Red, Red Grolix. I hope it's obvious that I love Slee Ricketts and that I'm a fan first and a co-host second. I love those early episodes because it's just Matthew and a microphone and a mess of poems. And in this one, he talks about Catullus. He talks about September 11. He talks about a horrible thing a teacher said to him once. And essentially, it's an episode about what Matthew calls the deep, long, rich tradition of artfully, cunningly, poignantly saying, fuck you. And a lot of the poems are close to what I'm talking about, but none of them quite have what I am looking for here. The closest would be the poem that he talks about at the end, which is a fantastic poem by a guy called Steve Scafidi called To Whoever Set My Truck on Fire. Obviously, that's a pretty good reason to be furious with someone. It's, it's a long and funny and honest and quite heartbreaking poem about the experience of having one's truck set on fire. And it ends with a moment which is almost exactly what I'm looking for. The poet is talking about being like a woodsman in a fairy tale with an axe. And at the end, he says, If I find you, my friend, I promise you I will lay the sharp blade deep into your body until the human grabbing hands of what must be death have mercy and take you away from the constant murderous swinging my mind makes, my words make, swinging down on your body, and may your children weep a thousand tears at your small and bewildered grave. That's it. That's what I want. I tried this myself. 
I tried to write a poem about a moment that made me furious, and it didn't work. I was probably 25, and we were in my friend's backyard, and we were just talking. I hadn't seen this guy for months and months and months, and I don't know how we got onto this. I probably set it up. I probably said something about how I can be kind of crazy at times, you know. And he said something which was meant to be a compliment. He said, you've mellowed quite a bit. I don't remember what I said in response. I am 99% sure that what I said was thank you. And, you know, this is the problem that I've been talking to this friend of mine about is that in the moment, I don't even know that I'm angry. I don't even realize it. I just do what I think is expected. And then later on, I think back and I think, mellowed? I've mellowed quite a bit? Oh, really? (laughs) I was furious with him because... What the fuck did he know? And how diminishing is that fucking comment? Obviously, even today, even though I've been friends with this person for 20 years and I love him, uh, I think about that and I think what I should have said was. So I tried to put that in a poem and I didn't say what I meant and I hid it under a whole bunch of like illusion and um, just obscurity and uh, and it didn't work and I, I never got that feeling out it never went anywhere I don't know much Greek mythology at all but I know enough to know that there were three Furies. And I thought maybe that could help me with this. So I went looking for them. I found out that their names are Alecto. She is unceasing in anger. Megera, she is jealous rage. And Tisiphone, vengeful destruction. And the more I looked into them, the more I realized I was going to have to go up to the very top shelf and get down the copy of the Divine Comedy, and look at some Dante, which I have never done before. But I do have, well, actually Tom had the Dorothy Sayers translation, and I found the section where the Furies show up. They appear when Dante and his guide Virgil get to the city of Dis. They don't know what to do next they can't get in they've come this far they are totally stuck and Dante is starting to lose faith in his guide and at this moment the Furies appear out of nowhere and they start to threaten Dante and Virgil that they're going to call up Medusa this is this is the section from Canto 9 for there of a sudden I saw three shapes arise three hellish furies, bolted all with blood, 
Their form and bearing were made woman-wise. Vivid green hydras girt them, and a brood of asps and adders, each a living tress, writhed round the brows of that fell sisterhood. So basically three, they sound like mini Medusas to me, appear out of nowhere and they um, they start threatening Dante and Virgil and, and Virgil's seen them before. So it goes on, and knowing well those handmaids pitiless who serve the queen of everlasting woe, behold, said he, the fierce Irinies. There on the right, Electo howls, and lo, Megara on the left, betwixt them wails to Siphone. And he was silent so. They beat their breasts and tore them with their nails, shrieking so loud that faint and tremulous I clutched the poet. And they with fiercer yells cried, Fetch Medusa, glaring down on us. Turn him to stone. Why did we not requite, Woe worth the day, the assault of Theseus? And basically what happens is that Virgil um, tells Dante to cover his eyes and he, he puts his own hands over over Dante's just to make sure that he's not going to look because they think that the Medusa is coming. Um, and they, they have no, <laughs> they've got no strategies for this. They just basically stand there being terrified. And luckily for them, this minor angel kind of shows up and, and taps the gates of the city of, of Dis and they open and they can go on their way. But lucky, lucky that that guy showed up because they, they, were not, they were not getting out of that situation. Dorothy Sayers describes the Furies as the avenging goddesses who haunted those who had committed great crimes. And she also says that they are the image of the fruitless remorse which does not lead to penitence. I don't know why they would be the image of remorse, but I understand that idea about not leading to penitence because the last thing that fury is 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 penitent. Usually where that emotion leaves you is in this place of like, it's a desolate place, which is kind of where um, Dante and Virgil end up once they get through the gates. I know that when I have let this emotion out it has taken me a long fucking time to come around to see that i was wrong so i looked all over for a good example of this and i thought about some of the books that that have been on my mind recently i spoke to harry reed the other week about leave me alone which is, when you think about it, it's, a, it's an angry collection. It's a collection of poems about work and how much work fucking sucks. I know that that is one of the things that makes me furious a lot of the time. And I've been thinking too about Eleanor Jackson's collection, Gravidity and Parody, which is about her experience of um, miscarriage and pregnancy during lockdown and there are poems in there that talk about you know just just how incredibly stifling and difficult uh, and harrowing that experience was and I think there is anger and maybe even fury there and then I was thinking also about the collection that came out a couple of years ago now Firefront 
which was the First Nations poetry collection edited by Alison Whitaker. And there are poems in there that are furious. But I think what I'm looking for is not that anger at injustice, the anger that is creative and generative, the anger that seeks to repair something. What I'm thinking about is a different thing. It's that it's the fury of Alecto, Megara, Tisiphone, the destructive force, that thing that, that gets unleashed and has its own power. I even went back to my collected Anne Sexton, which never leads me anywhere good. Uh, and she has a whole section of poems about fury, specifically. It's just called The Furies, and the poems are titled things like The Fury of Beautiful Bones, The Fury of Hating Eyes, The Fury of Guitars and Sopranos, The Fury of Cooks. Like, first of all, they're just sort of silly, like so much of her work can be, but um, they're also just not angry. Like, there's, there's just no anger in them. This is, this is a section from one of them called The Fury of Abandonment. I know that it is all a matter of hands. Out of the mournful sweetness of touching comes love like breakfast. What the fuck is that? Love like breakfast? No, no, that doesn't make sense. Out of the many houses come the hands before the abandonment of the city. Out of the bars and shops a thin file of ants. Okay, like I don't, I don't know, I don't know what she's talking about. I wish she would just say what she means. I've been abandoned out here under the dry stars with no shoes, no belt, and I've called Rescue Inc. That old-fashioned hotline, no voice. Again, that's just silly. What, what is Rescue Inc.? Is that a thing? Was that a thing? I don't think it was. I think she just made that up. Left to my own lips, touch them. My own dumb eyes, touch them. The progression of my parts, touch them. My own nostrils, shoulders, breasts, navel, stomach, mound, knee bone, ankle, touch them. All right, fine. <sighs> yeah, it's, that is not, it's not useful or satisfying. I was talking to Matthew and Cameron about how there are no good sex poems no poems about sex that are actually hot and I think fury is probably the same because to write a poem about this you have to be outside of it because you can't write a poem while furious you can write a poem while you're in love you can write a poem about failure about fear about friendship but I don't think, I don't think you can be furious and write a poem that can hold it. As I've been making this, I've been thinking about this track from uh, The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails, which is called Just Like You Imagined. And it is, it's an instrumental track, essentially. And it starts off quiet and it builds and builds he layers on 
sound the further in that he goes and then there's a point at which he brings in a vocal but it is the sound of Trent Reznor screaming lay it over itself. This is what I want the poem to do. Coming back to my conversation with my friend, you know, I I think about one of the things that makes me the most furious, and it is thankfully not something that happens very often, but one of the things that has caused me to lose my mind in the past has been experiences I've had where guys have yelled stuff at me from cars. I had an experience in my early 20s where a guy decided that he was going to pull up in front of me while I was waiting for a bus on a a fairly fairly well-trafficked road, but... um, you know, it was, it was kind of late at night and there wasn't really, weren't really that many people around. And he just, he just did that thing like out of a movie where he sort of pulled up and was like, get in. And I'd never seen this guy before. And I was completely fucking terrified. And I, I ran to the nearest Woolies, which was kind of across the park and around the corner. And I got in there and I, I stayed in there for a few minutes and then I, I tried to leave and I realized that what he had done somehow was to follow me and come and sit outside the front of the Woolworths. And obviously it's, it's super fucking irritating when guys yell at you from cars anyway for anyone. Um, but I also have, have that experience, that memory and so when it happens, I feel scared and I feel um, I feel the anger that I felt at that dude come back. And then all the other instances where guys have yelled at me from cars and I have stood there thinking, what should I do? Should I say something? I'm not sure. And then by the time I've had that debate with myself, they're gone. And there's nowhere for what I feel to go. And sometimes I think, you know, there's going to come a day when a bunch of guys roll up in a ute and wind down the window and say some stupid fucking shit and they are going to get a response that is not about them, <laughs> that, is, that is decades old and they are going to look at this woman screaming at them at the top of her lungs and like people people will gather around probably and everyone will wonder what the fuck just happened and I won't be able to explain it because at that point I won't be in control (laughs) 